Welcome to the Meta Business Podcast. The Metaverse and Web3 are bringing about the biggest revolution since the internet itself. With your hosts, Paul the Prophet Dawalibi and Jeff the Juice Cohen, we will be bringing you the latest Metaverse business news and insight into what it all means. The Meta Business Podcast starts now. From the boardroom to the Metaverse, this is the Meta Business Podcast. I am Paul Dawalibi. I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, Jeff the Juice Cohen. For those of you who are new to the Meta Business Podcast, welcome. What we do here is we cover the most pressing metaverse stories and news of the week, but we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in the metaverse and Web3 industries. For our regular listeners, for the people who have tuned in every single week, this is episode eight. Thank you, guys. If you haven't yet, make sure you hit subscribe wherever you get this podcast, your favorite podcast apps. Maybe you watch it on YouTube, wherever you get this, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button and tell your friends and family, share it. Um, That's the biggest thing we could ask for. If you share it with your friends, family, colleagues, uh, if you love the content, if you enjoy the metaverse content that we're putting out every week, really appreciate if you guys would share it. Jeff, how are you doing this week? Doing good. Doing good. How about you? Oh, you may have noticed I'm wearing this new jersey that has that has me on it, the Prophet, um, which was a very nice gift from our, you know, uh, our mutual friend uh, Jimmy, who, as you guys, uh, anyone who listens to this may know, co-hosts the Business of Esports podcast with me. Uh, but the cool part is it, it has Meta TV on the sleeve, wow. uh, Business of Esports on the other sleeve. It's it's pretty decked out. I've got the Prophet on the back. Man, I guess I'm assuming mine, mine's probably just in the mail. I haven't checked the mail in a while. So (laughs) I actually, funny enough, this is going to sound weird. I am, this is literally Jimmy's shirt. So Jimmy, uh, Jimmy (laughs) sent me a couple of shirts in the mail after one, when we were out in Vegas one night and I told him I liked the shirt he was wearing. And a week later he asked me for my, my address and he literally sent me four shirts. Uh, so, so we are both wearing gifts from Jimmy, uh, (laughs) This well, is not this interesting is the, to anyone besides us no. two and Jimmy, probably. Yeah. But uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's a good it's a good uh, plug to say. Uh, make sure you guys watch the business of esports or listen to the business of esports podcast. Also, I will just say a uh, good chance that we will all get jerseys like this. Uh, we will need meta business merch at some point. But I think uh, I'm the only one that has this right now. I know Jimmy wanted one, but doesn't have one like you. Um, and so I think we will have to get that done for everybody at some point. Um, but we need to get into the news cause there's a lot of metaverse news this week. And I think maybe more important than the Jersey is the first story here, which is by far the biggest metaverse news, uh, business news that came out this week. And I'll read the headline here. Um, the headline is cows stuck indoors for winter are getting virtual reality goggles to feel like they're outside. Maybe the best part of this article is the picture. I, I thought this was Photoshopped at first, but it genuinely seems it's quoted as saying, this is a cow with VR glasses on. Uh, and it was taken in the de- end of December. It, and for so, those of you who can't see the picture, it's also, it appears the cow is wearing two separate VR <laughs> headsets, one on each eye, which I have to imagine is pretty trippy. So one eye thinks it's in one world, the other eye thinks it's in the other. I mean, that is uh, interesting, unless they're, I guess they could be synced up. Yeah, this is I the mean, metaverse. The problem, this is what we were promised. This is, this is this the is metaverse we were promised, right? Technology. <laughs> I mean, it's, 
it's a it's a it it maybe seems like a nothing story, okay? And it maybe people will think we're just being silly, but I genuinely feel like there's a really interesting to discussion to be had here because everyone talks about the metaverse from a gaming perspective, right? That's not new. I, you know, since Facebook's rebranding, there's a lot of discussion around the metaverse for work from a work perspective, right? How it's going to change work. But I feel like there's there hasn't been a lot of discussion around all of like the ancillary kind of metaverse benefits, if you want to call that. And mm-hmm. and this is just one of those that I'm going, well, this is so clever. And I feel like there are probably human benefits that are that like that are similar to this, right? Like the headline is the, the idea is that the cows that are stuck indoors for winter, I guess they produce better milk, more milk if they're less stressed, right? And if they feel like they're outside, that, that'll make them less stressed. How is this any different than like human beings and when we talk about mental health and things like that? It's, I mean, it's absolutely a great point. I do wonder if maybe it's a little different that the human would know they're in VR, whereas the cow may may really be tricked to thinking that they're they're in you know a different pasture. Um, but besides that, I mean, there there certainly can be other benefits. I mean, we've talked on a live stream many times about potential military, you know, training exercises, doctors, like, you know, you don't want your doctor to be doing his first open heart surgery on you as the patient, but if it's, you know, he's doing it in VR, that's a great way to practice and learn. Uh, so there definitely are, and I, and I, and this is all stuff that's, you know, that, that is happening. So there, there definitely are a ton of different usages for, I guess, what we would consider VR. And also, you know, you could kind of expand that to be the metaverse. I, I just think, again, it's one, it's one of those things where, you know, and I've made, I've blogged about this stuff and I've, I've had discussions around this and I've sort of made lists in my own head of here are all the industries that the metaverse essentially disrupts, right? Like the meta capital M metaverse will disrupt, you know, the travel industry, the adult industry, right? Like all these other industries that get massively disrupted by the metaverse. But then, you know, one of the, the ones that was one that was not on my list was agriculture, right? Like, uh, that, that's not something I had thought of, but you see this real world application and it's not five years or 10 years from now, right? It's today. Um, and, and that can be big business. Like I think people underestimate how big agriculture is as an industry. And if you can, you know, if you can make an impact it, it, even in a relatively small way, you're talking about pretty big dollars. I, oh, absolutely. I love it. If you think about it, just just impacting yields or you know any any sort of anything in a small way is 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 massive. I mean, look at kind of agritech. Like, there's a lot of these these things. You know, if you could increase the crop yield by five percent, I mean, that's that's worth billions of dollars. So, you know, if these VR goggles can actually make the cows produce better or you know grow faster, um, you know, that's going to be a massive impact. And it's a fun story, obviously. It's a fun story, but I also I, I think it's great that we highlight impact on industries that maybe other people aren't thinking about, right? That are not as sexy, not as top of mind. Uh, and and I wouldn't be surprised. Like again, maybe the cows are fooled, but I think human brains are not. You know, they're obviously more sophisticated, but you know, your brain's a powerful organ. It can fool your body into into having positive benefits, right? Like I see this translating to human beings. Um, and I know there are at VR apps and things around meditation and things like that, but, mm-hmm. um, I love seeing this story and I love seeing the metaverse sort of creeping into other industries. Jeff, let's, let's, you know, let's get a bit more serious here. And we've got three stories back to back and I, you know, you sent these to me and I think 
it was really interesting to see sort of in one week, three stories in the exact same kind of realm. And that and the realm here is NFT marketplaces. So let me just let me show you the three stories. Let me read the three stories for those of you who are listening, uh, at least the headlines. And then let's discuss them as a group because I think they go together. And and so the first one here is GameStop to launch NFT marketplace for gamers. Uh, shares of the beleaguered gaming retailer were up about 20% in New York pre-market trading. This was last Friday. So this is uh, GameStop coming out with their own NFT marketplace for gamers. Second story is um, the headline here is GameFi NFT marketplace Lutex closes $9 million funding round. The Taiwan-based asset marketplace features over 12,000 NFTs across 500 collections. So if you're not noticing the, the theme here, it's NFT marketplaces. And then the third story is leading NFT marketplace OpenSea raises $300 million. Firms post-money valuation tops $13.3 billion. Um, they announced that they had raised $300 million in a Series C funding round led by Paradigm and KOTU. Uh, it compelled the com- propelled the company to a $13.3 billion post-money valuation. So we've got three stories, Jeff, about NFT marketplaces, some earlier stage, some later stage. And in GameStop's case, this is an established you know, public company launching one. I'm curious, uh, just general thoughts on these stories as you see them back to back. And maybe sort of the specific question I have is, is this an environment where we're going to see 100 winners, 10 winners, one winner? Is it winner take all, right? So, so to speak. Um, and and what do you, how do you feel about the chances of these three kind of competitors? It's a bunch of questions. I'll kind of go through a couple of them. And then I have some, you know, maybe some questions to put to volley back to you. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I do think this is going to, there, there will be a several different winners. I think, you know, right now, OpenSea is definitely the leader in terms of kind of the broad NFT marketplaces. Um, and, and the way I like to think about this and the question I'll pose to you is sort of, you know, on one hand, you have broad base kind of you're trying to be the everything store, the Amazon. That's kind of what OpenSea is doing. I think that's what, you know, FTX is doing. That's what uh, uh, Coinbase is looking to launch an NFT marketplace. And that's sort of being like the everything store, the, you know, the place where if you want to buy an NFT, you just go there and, it, you know, it'll probably be there. Versus sort of the niche vertical focused, I think, NFT stores, um, you know, where you have something like NBA Top Shots, you have what DraftKings is doing with their DraftKings marketplace. And that's where I think, you know, the question I have posed for you with gaming, where does that fit in? I have my opinion, but I kind of want to hear yours first. Do you think the ultimate winner, because I think we, you and I both agree, you know, we're, we're both big believers in kind of Web3 and sort of blockchain gaming. I do think that an, there will be at least one massive gaming NFT marketplace. Will it be one of these bigger players like an OpenSea? Or is there room for kind of a vertical focused sort of competitor to be that one winner? It's a great question. Um, I'm, I'm not convinced that genre specific marketplaces will carve large enough niches to justify the kinds of valuations maybe we're seeing. Now, you know, Lutex raised, uh, you know, according to this article, and I'll bring it back up, um, raised 
a $9 million seed round, right? Like we're talking, we're talking about the first money in, right? The, the very first dollars, $9 million is a really big seed round. And I know not so much these days. I'm a little old fashioned in that sense. I guess in this, the current world we live in, that's more and more normal. But, you know, in a world where in the same week, a, a, a direct competitor raised 300 million, I question a little bit the the thought process of the investors in the game specific NFT marketplace, Lutex, right? And and I take my use as a comparison, just e-commerce in general, right? because fundamentally we can call them NFT marketplaces. They're stores, right? They're storefronts to go buy and trade NFTs. Amazon has dominated, right? Like there's a reason GameStop as a specialty vertical retailer has struggled. And yes, the, you know, they're burdened with physical stores and things like that. But specialty retail, for the most part, has been has been defeated by Amazon, right? Like we seem to be in a, live in a world where everything stores win. At least Amazon does. It's fair, but uh, I guess the counter example is that you have seen some product categories do well, like Chewy with pet food and pet supplies, Wayfair with, uh, you know, furniture, like this sort of concept of, of, you know, growing niches like this happened, I think with eBay, where eBay was sort of trying to be, you know, every, sort of the, the platform for everything. And then you did see a bunch of different um, kind of niches split off. Um, you know, even if you look at Craigslist kind of got defeated by, um, you know, Airbnb and some of these more vertical kind of focused things. But I think I think you do bring up a good point with with Amazon and kind of having one place where everyone goes. This is definitely a network effects because we're not talking about physical goods here. We're talking this is purely network effects. It's like where do I want to list my NFT? Probably the place where there's the most buyers, and buyers want to come to the place where there's the most liquidity and most things to buy. So it, you know we are definitely talking about a network effects driven platform. So maybe it is just hey the one winner, the open sea, whoever's the biggest will end up being the biggest just because of network effects. But to me, I, 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 I'm more on the side of, of, of vertical focus. So I, I do think for games, particularly with the gamer audience, like I, I just think there's something about the branding to gamers. Like I, I do think you're going, you know, it's part of the reason why, you know, Amazon hasn't won in game distribution. Like why do people go to Steam versus, you know, various other places that they could be buying games? Um, you know, I, I think there's something to be said for gamers wanting their own platform and kind of their own user experience and their own marketing. So I, I'd be a little more bullish on the vertical focus one than, than maybe you are. I mean, Jeff, the, the question I have for you is like, or at least the comment I would make is vertical focus to me has, has to add some value in some way, right? Like I buy, I would buy furniture from Wayfair instead of from Amazon because I believe Wayfair knows more about furniture. They, you know, they, they, they don't, uh, source anything that's, you know, uh, like such low quality that it's going to fall apart in the first day. Right. Whereas uh, if I buy furniture on Amazon, maybe I don't know it's, you know, uh, it's, it's made in China and it falls apart two seconds later. You know, in some ways you go to a vertical, like a highly specialized retailer because, you're getting some value there. They're they're doing some of the thinking for you, some of the curation for you, and I'm just not sure that's that's what's driving the NFT space today, right? It's not like we need someone to curate it for us. There's there the biggest drops make all the money, 
right? The biggest artists make the majority of the money. And I think people will go where the biggest drops go is, is my sense today. Now, is there, a, is there room five years from now for a specialty sort of marketplace that's more gamer specific? I buy that. I just don't know if they'll ever become that big, right? Like Wayfair compared to Amazon, we're talking at least two orders of magnitude, right? Probably. Probably more. <laughs> but, but, but we're still talking about Wayfair, I think, is a multi, you know, at least a multi-billion dollar company. So th- there's, there's juice to be squeezed there. Like, there, you know, you wouldn't be upset if you created the next Wayfair. No, <laughs> no. And, you know, $9 million seed round tells me there's real commitment around whatever this vision is, right? They have some money. But it's also like, again, if my competitor tomorrow raised 300 million to go do exactly what I'm doing, I mean, that would keep me up at night. It would also justify what I'm doing, right? I go, well, I'm in the right space. So I'm not, it's not that I'm down on Lutex here or what, you know, what they're trying to accomplish. And I think they have to do this. So that's, I think, the other part of the, my, the, the conversation, which is what choice do they have, right? When you already have two or three everything stores, you, you're not going to be the fourth everything store. That yeah. definitely doesn't work. You have to specialize. And you hope you carve out a significant enough niche that you have a very profitable business or that the everything store eventually buys you. Yeah. Which, which Amazon has it. done, you know, many, yeah. right? They did it with diapers, uh, yeah. Quizzy or whatever it was called. They did it with um, JetDuck. The, they've done it they've with done a couple it in of the toys, Zapp- Zappos. Like they've so, you know, that is, I guess, a model where you, you create a, a niche kind of, you know, again, Zappos was just selling shoes, Quidzy just selling diapers, I think, and some baby products. And then, you know, the OpenSea or the, you know, the Amazon, um, you know, comes and buys them. So maybe that is, that is part of the approach here. But I think there's an opening, like a flank with, uh, you know, discoverability potentially. And then the, only, the other thing I was going to say why maybe I'm a little more bullish on GameStop than I kind of had thought I would be. Um, you know, because I think when a lot of people saw this headline at first with GameStop, there was a lot of eye rolling and it was like, oh, classic, the meme stock, you know, is going <laughs> after uh, the most buzzword possible uh, at the moment. You know, they're never going to be able to execute on this. And then I thought about it a little bit. And, you know, I'm not sure that GameStop can execute on this. I don't know that they have the developers to do so. But if we assume they're able to actually build something that's technically sound, I think they have some decent advantages in terms of, when you're thinking about building a platform, you need a couple things. You need kind of player relationships, and I'll call that customer relationships. So you need a lot of people coming to your site, name recognition. They have that, particularly with the kinds of people right now that are into this community of let's call a spade a spade. It's a little bit of speculation and gambling. Well, guess what? They have the community of hundreds of thousands of quote unquote apes that went and bought their stock and love GameStop. Those are pretty much the exact people that are going to go trade and buy on these kind of marketplaces, at least as the early adopters. And then two, I think to be a games-focused platform here, you're going to need publisher and developer support. So you need blockchain games to say, hey, this is where I'm going to list my NFT. And GameStop has those relationships. So if they execute on this right, they could be one of the few platforms that has the name recognition, sort of the trust, and both sides of that kind of platform uh, to to bring you know to the table to really gain scale quickly, um, and so yeah, I, I think I'm more bullish than most on on the GameStop NFT announcement. I, you know, I when you started this thought, I was like, man, I'm gonna come after Jeff. I'm just I, I like I totally disagree with this. I, like I get the OpenC one. I'm a big fan of 
you know, they did over 14 billion in sales of NFT sales on OpenSea last year, right? Like this, these are big numbers. Big fan of that sort of transaction. Lutex, I get it. Specialty, still a big financing, but you know, I could see where that goes. It was the GameStop one that I didn't really understand, right? That 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 was the head scratcher for me. And I was my mind was in a place of like, this is just pump and dump, you know, get the apes to pump the stock, which seems to be in line with the nothing else GameStop's doing, right? They they have this new management, supposedly this new vision, and they've done nothing, right? Literally nothing. Mm-hmm. And then I was trying to find a reason for this NFT marketplace. And when you started on that point, I was about to sort of cut you off and say that you're totally wrong. And then I think, Jeff, you made a great point about like, maybe it's the tie-in with the publishers, right? Maybe they leverage those relationships. Here's my question to you, though. If you're GameStop, and that is the play, and I think that's a smart play. Now, big question mark if the publishers still respect them at all, or if they're still, you know, who knows? Because GameStop hasn't really been relevant for quite a while now. But if that's the case, why not advertise that strategy, right? Why not? Why are we not seeing, you know, Ryan Cohn come out and be like, hey, this is what we're doing. This is not just a pump and dump where this NFT wow. marketplace is going to fit in with, you know, we're, we're going to leverage these publisher relationships. We're going to be the one-stop shop for all the big games, NFTs, right? Like one thing I would say, I think usually... Not- if you're if you're going around saying we're not a pump and dump, that's usually a no, bad I, sign that you are. <laughs> that you are. But, but <laughs> I no, I, I think I think part of it is they like sort of being, and I'm totally guessing at this. Obviously, I think they like kind of being shrouded in mystery a little bit. Where I sort of think this Ryan Cohen guy gets off on this a little bit, being like this man of mystery that the apes follow. And you know, I am sure if you're an analyst or you were you know an, a real investor in their company and you talk to them. This Ryan, these guys are smart guys, right? They hired a bunch of people from Amazon. They, Ryan Cohen, founder of Chewy, which was obviously an example that we used of someone who sort of niche attacked Amazon in the past. So has sort of expertise of building kind of a digital platform or an e-commerce platform. I would imagine if you sat down with him that this is what he would be saying. I think they sort of like having kind of this devil may care, like apish <laughs> attitude a little bit. <laughs> or maybe they're just not good at communicating to investors. I, it could be either of those. But part of me thinks it's like they're they're a little bit shrewd. I'm I'm giving them a little bit of credit here. Can I, I let me let me offer a third explanation? Is that you're right there? You you advanced a more clever idea than they've thought of, um, and, and so I have my doubts that they've thought of this. Uh, I, I'll do it. Although I do agree, it's a great idea. And if I was them, I I would definitely be doing it or thinking about it. The bigger problem to me is. I just suspect they can't do it at this point, that it's a combination of two things. Their own market power has eroded, right? They're not as relevant as they used to be to gamers. And so that's like, that's a bit of a, it's a, it's a tougher sell. And second, I think the publishers, when they're looking at web three, when they're looking at metaverse now, when they're looking at all this, call it next gen stuff, right? I think they've, most have come to the conclusion that they can figure it out themselves. Like that, I think they learned the hard way that handing power to marketplaces with games in the past has not, you know, th- that they would have been better off going direct to the to the customer. And I think we're seeing more of an aversion to marketplace to marketplaces with the big publishers, right? Who are all launching their own stores, who are all trying to go direct, who are all 
you know, have their own services now. Um, I That's suspect a- most of them do not want to deal with a third party when it comes to NFTs and won't want to deal with a third party. That's an absolutely great point as it relates to AAA publishers. But I think as it relates, because I, I do think you're, you're right. I don't, I don't see, you know, an Activision or an EA anytime soon wanting to give up control of what effectively could be an incredibly important uh, marketplace and distribution platform. We've already seen them doing the opposite, as, as you mentioned. But as it, as it relates to, um, you know, these new blockchain games and sort of Web3 gaming, I, I kind of think it has to be that way because I just don't know if gamer th- that customer I think doesn't want too much power with the developer. I think they want to be able they, they specifically want to be able to take their assets from one game and go sell them on a different platform. If they're selling them on the same platform that they bought them, I think that it almost like it's like disqualifies it immediately from being what they consider in this Web three ethos. But yeah, and this is the point I wanted to sort of close this out on which is the bigger philosophical question, which I think you've alluded to here, which is, you know, we're talking about a, a, an object in an NFT that is fundamentally decentralized, right? It's, it's recorded on a blockchain that is decentralized. It's right. The, the, the product itself, the object itself is distributed and, and decentralized. And then we're trying to sh- like, we're having a discussion around very centralized kind of like monolithic marketplaces where all of this still has to happen, it seems philosophically like at odds with the, 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 the ethos and well, the, the, the thinking behind NFTs in the first place. I'm, I'm sure you saw this became like a big sort of theme on, on Twitter over the last couple of weeks with like Jack Dorsey. And I forget who he was kind of arguing back and forth with. Um, basically, you know, the argument was like, who owns Web3? And it's like, can you really say Web3 is decentralized if something like OpenSea, you know, is, is owned by venture capitalists and just took $300 million from Code 2, which is a massive hedge fund. So it's like, who, who is it really decentralized if it's, like you just said, owned by one monolithic platform and that monolithic platform is owned by the same people who owned Web2? I don't know. I, it's a question I'd love. I, I, look, I'd love feedback from our listeners on this one. Just what do they think in terms of what do you guys think in terms of, you know, fundamentally decentralized kind of uh, products, objects being at odds with completely centralized and monolithic marketplaces that have clear ownership and things like that. So um, it's a power struggle. I think we haven't seen the end of. And, and I'm, I am curious how it plays out. And I'm curious what our you know, listeners think about it. Um, Jeff, let's move on we, because there's a story here, which, um, also very interesting and, uh, you know, uh, I'll say sort of a fringe metaverse story here. And the headline here is, this is from Forbes. The headline is fan controlled football league raises 40 million series a round led by cryptocurrency investors. And, and so for those of you who don't know, uh, fan controlled football, it's exactly what it is, what, it, what they says it is. It's. I think it's seven on seven football where the spectators, you, the fan, can make decisions in terms of the play that's called, in terms of the players that are drafted, right? Like you have some level of control over what goes on on the field. And, and they've raised a bunch of money now from um, Animoca Brands and Delphi Digital, both VCs that specialize in cryptocurrency investments. And let me just be clear here. One, the thing they're doing that is crypto or web three related is they are going to be minting. I think 
yeah, they're going to launch 8,888 NFTs related to the four new franchises that are, that, are, that are coming out. And people who purchase the NFTs will become fans of the team and have a chance to draft players, choose plays, and receive other perks. So NFTs, I guess, as, as, as a method of owning and having influence over these new franchises. I'm curious, what are your, I know, Jeff, you're a football fan. What do you think of fan-controlled football and their sort of tie-in with crypto and NFTs and the metaverse here? I, I actually really like it. Um, you know, so I had been pretty bearish on fan-controlled football previously, um, mostly Why? because any, and any football league that has tried to start that wasn't the NFL has basically failed for the last 30 years. You know, the XFL twice, USFL once, the one they tried last year that failed, the one they're doing this year that I guarantee you is also going to fail, this one prior to this, you know, resuscitation via crypto. So none of them, none of them have worked. That's that's sort of not the not the point of the story here. I think the crypto angle and sort of the NFT angle is interesting because it gives one, you know, it's it's pretty amazing decentralization. The fact that you're sort of giving up ownership of these teams to to the players, kind of in a, almost in a in a DAO like function. Um, to me, I think that's really interesting and just to be a fascinating sort of social experiment. And I like that all of them have sort of like popular crypto personalities behind them. Like I saw in the article, one of them was is owned by Steve Aoki and other ones owned by Marshawn Lynch and various different personalities that I think, you know, could potentially grow to have almost like a board ape yacht club type following, um, you know, if this gets to, you know, a further extent. So I think that's pretty cool. Also, as someone who's a big Madden fan, I love the idea of being able to call plays and then watch them happen on the field. I've always, every time I watch a football game, I think I could be better than, than the coaches. So I think it's a cool <laughs> thing that, you know, you'll be able to do that. Also, I like that it's proportional to how much of the NFT you own. So it's like, if you theoretically own 51% of the NFT, you can control the game. You're literally the coach, you're the, the owner of the team, and you're essentially controlling the players on the field. Uh, I, I think that's, you know, that in of itself is pretty cool and can drive some some value to these coins. Um, I'm curious how long it's going to be until we see an esports league do this. Because to me, this is essentially a lot of this can be done with esports. You know, right now you're just doing it with players, like actual human being players rather than digital players. But a lot of these same concepts could could easily work with esports. So know, those those are some of my my musings, but I'm curious what you think. No question. I, I, let me just there was one quote from this, which I want to hone in on, and I'm curious specifically what you think on it, because I have some thoughts. And the quote is, this was from a partner uh, at Lightspeed Venture Capital, and this they're the VC firm that led FCF's fan-controlled football seed round, and they participated in this current Series A round. And, and he is quoted as saying, there's a ton of overlap of crypto enthusiasts as sport and sports fans. It's definitely a big Venn diagram overlap. That specifically stood out for me because I'm not, I wasn't sure if that was actually true. You know, we, we've had these discussions on business of esports around overlap of esports fans and sports fans and overlap of esports fans and crypto. And there's very strong overlap between esports, like gamers and crypto, very strong. But gamers and sports fans, there's not a lot of overlap. So like by what is it? The It's tr- like, what, what is the, 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 the transitive the mathematical tra- yeah, transitive <laughs> property, whatever, right? Like, I'm not convinced 
that crypto and sports, there's a ton of overlap here. So while I buy kind of the the premise, and I think it's cool personally, right? Is there enough interest from sports fans for this kind of tie-in? So I'm not sure I've seen the data, but I do think anecdotally, we've seen enough, whether it's, you know, uh, the Staples Center in LA was just renamed Crypto.com Center. FTX invested in, uh, they renamed, I think, the Miami Heat. So like, true. I think there's enough. And and to be fair, that could all just be driven by someone said this quote and it's like now become a truism. Like, oh, well, of course there's overlap between crypto and sports fans. (laughs) But I imagine there's some sort of YouGov type data source out there that's that's sort of informing all these investments because we have seen a lot and a lot of athletes are taking, you know, doing investments in crypto or sorry, getting investments in crypto and, you know, Tom Brady's a sponsor of FTX, stuff like that. So my my guess is that there is some data out there that's showing that this is true and it's not just everyone kind of believing this myth, but I have not seen the data. And then my the second sort of thought I had, which, and you you alluded to it a little bit, which is like, this is childhood dream, right? It's like, in some ways it's like Madden, but in real life. But, but then the metaverse sort of the, the, the metaverse profit in me says, why do we need the real life component then, right? Like fundamentally, couldn't we just do all of this digitally, right? It, it could just be fan controlled Madden, um, mm-hmm. which is basically just Madden. And, and, and this is where from a business standpoint, I'm not sure if fan controlled football survives long term, right? It feels a little bit like a, and I think that we're going to see a lot of this where the metaverse we know and we all talk about capital M is going to be massively disruptive to a lot of things. And there will be sort of like these middle steps, right? These sort of these, these not, it's not the eventual, it's not the last step. It's not the first step. It's sort of the small steps in between that you forget about. And this feels a little bit like that. And, and I'm sure that will be a theme in other podcasts where we see these kind of middle steps that get disintermediated as technology gets better and go away, like at some point, VR football is going to be so good that why would we have fan controlled, you know, with human players and things like this? Like, why wouldn't we just do it all digitally or something like that? Um, I just don't see it as a viable business long term. And the NFT thing feels, while I get the point, feels a little bit forced to me here, right? This is one of those things where it feels like we'll glom this on. And and now it's attractive to investors because fundamentally they could have done this without NFTs, right? Like they didn't need NFTs to do what they're to to do what they're doing here. Well, some would argue that that's the case for anything with NFTs. Like you, you rarely need decentralized blockchain technology. It's just the you know the the pipes. But I think I, I don't disagree with you. That this probably probably won't work. I am, like I said, more bullish on this than I was about fan controlled football. I still don't really like I probably wouldn't be buying some of these tokens uh, just in my own personal money, but I am more bullish on it. I will say, though, just to give them some credit in terms of NFT projects we've seen, like crossovers between NFT and sports, this is one of the more interesting ones. And the NFT does get you something. Right. Like the fact that if I buy enough of the NFT, I could sit there on a Saturday morning and literally call the plays that, you know, Johnny football goes and goes out and does that to me is a heck of a lot more interesting than buying an NBA top shot where it's just like, oh, I'm watching like a JPEG of 
someone shooting a free throw like that you know to me like that that never made sense to me like there was not a ton of value there whereas this i do see there's some value i think there will then be a next step where it gets even more interesting and maybe it's having to do with esports maybe it's disintermediating the physical players something like that but i do think it's a positive step in the right direction and it's interesting for kind of the sports metaverse esports media scene to, to pay attention to. It's an interesting experiment, if nothing else. Agreed, 100%. You're right. Uh, you make a great point, which I hadn't, you know, I hadn't thought of. It's definitely better than an NBA top shot like that. No question. This is more interesting. You, there's some utility here, right? I come back to that point of like, well, there's utility at least. Um, but it just, it feels like an intermediate step for me. That, that's the right word. Like it, it feels like a stepping stone to something bigger. Uh, and better and more interesting and more true metaverse, I guess. Jeff, that wraps up this week's podcast. Man, that flew by. Great show. Um, best one yet. Best one yet. Uh, for those of you who are uh, enjoying this content, please just tell others, tell your friends, family, colleagues about the podcast. Uh, make sure wherever you listen to it, whether it's on Spotify, Google Play, um, anywhere you get this um, show or Apple Podcasts, wherever. Leave a review if you can, but make sure you follow or subscribe so that you get notified when a new episode comes out. They drop every Monday. And uh, we thank you guys for tuning in every week. We welcome your feedback if you're loving the show. Jeff, thank you as always. Thanks, and we will see you guys next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Business. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Business.